0: Good morning. It's great to be here again this Sunday. This is the uh, first time I've been up here this year to preach. Isn't it scary? We're in February already. Uh, We're well underway into 2017. So what we've been doing, for those who haven't been here, is once a month uh, I've had the, the privilege and the blessing to be able to come up and preach, and we've been working through the Book of Romans and so we're currently up to Romans chapter 14, so by anyone's calculation we've been working through this book for a long time. Uh, but I think and I, I hope it's been, certainly been a blessing to me as I've gone through and studied this book, but I hope it's been a blessing to you guys as well as we've journeyed through the book of Romans. And we've been doing a chapter a month and so we haven't been really been able to dig down into the depths of everything But we've been gleaning the important stuff through each chapter. And so we're going to carry on that theme. So we're looking at Romans chapter 14 uh, this day. But before we start, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He laid down his life for us. And Lord, we thank you that salvation has come to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you that he is our Messiah. We thank you that he is the giver of life. We thank you that in him we have all things. And Father, we thank you that it does not rely upon what we do, but upon our faith in him. Father, we, so I just pray this day, as we open your word, as we look at this chapter, Lord, that your word will become alive to us and we may see more depth of our relationship with Jesus Christ, that you may unveil him a little bit more to us and that this word will be a blessing to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in order to really get the context of Romans 14, uh, as we normally do, we go back and we look a little bit about the chapter beforehand. And so I want to look at, start at Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And I'll read from 13:11 11 to 14, stopping with a couple of breaks. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now is high time to be awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And if Paul was saying that to the Christians back then in his day, how much truer is that now for us? That our salvation, that the time, and when he's talking about our salvation, the time of the Lord's return is so much closer. And if you look at and study the prophecies within the context of the Bible and you look at the world events at the moment and look at world events through a biblical lens, you can see the fulfillment of some of the prophetic things happening right now. Our salvation is at hand. The return of, the Je- of Jesus Christ is coming. And whether or not you're pre-millennial or post-millennial or pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib, couldn't care less, Jesus Christ is returning. And that's the truth. And it's near. And that should be exciting for us. You know, and if if you're pre-trib, meaning that you believe Jesus Christ will come back before the tribulation in, outlined in Revelation, well, that's exciting, isn't it? Because you get to go be with the Father in heaven. And if you post-trib, meaning that the church goes through the tribulation, well, do you know what? His word says that he will be with us in the midst of all things and he will be here. And that's exciting too, isn't it? So, Whichever position you hold, Jesus Christ is returning, it is time, salvation is at hand, Paul says. So be awake, be aware of what is going on in the world. When he talks about being awake, we're not talking about not lying in bed and not sleeping. We're talking about having an understanding of what's going on in the world. Be connected to the Father through prayer. Be aware of what's going on. Allow his spirit to minister to us, to influence our decision-making, to be able to be praying into situations, to be alive in his spirit, Paul is saying. Be awake. Be connected. Be with one, with his spirit. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent He's saying you can almost see the sun come up over the horizon. We can almost see the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ returning from on high. You know, it will not be far away. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine through us in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the night. Let us not be of the ways of the world. It's almost the image of a warrior getting dressed, being prepared for battle, knowing what to put on. And in the same way, what we have to put on is the light of Jesus Christ that can shine through us into this world. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And here again, we looked at um, how when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we become so enamored with him, we become so consumed with him, that the things of the world, that the sinful ways, have, just lose its appeal to us. And so we're not consumed with the things of the world because our attention is taken on Jesus Christ and we are absorbed by him. And the, again, the imagery of put on Jesus Christ, in order to understand that, we went back and looked at last month the prodigal son and how the prodigal son was out in the pig pan eating the scraps of the food. And he says, even my father's servants eat better than this. I will go back and I will say, Father, I'll just be a servant. I'm no longer fit to be a son. I'll just come back. But... He was in there, he was hungry in the pig pen. And we get a glimpse of our Heavenly Father and what he gives to us when we come to salvation through Jesus Christ. Because as the son is a long way off, the prodigal son is a long way off, the Father sees him and the Father runs to him. And the Father gives him a number of things and we looked at it. And we will look at it quickly. Um, for, for a little bit of what the Father actually gives the Son because the same is true for what our Heavenly Father gives us. And so the Father rushes out and He embraces the, His Son and He gives Him a kiss and He's receiving His Son back and offering forgiveness in that embrace and that kiss. And then He puts on the best robe onto His Son to cover the filthy rags. Because he was in the pig pen. And in the same way our heavenly father has clothed us with the robes of righteousness in Jesus Christ. And it covers our sinfulness. And to our father in heaven he no longer sees our sinfulness. Because we've been washed clean and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon us. That's been given to us in him. And then the father puts a ring on his son's finger. Symbolizing the authority and the power. That he has, because he is giving the ring which is a symbol of that. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father has given us the authority and power in Jesus Christ over the things of this world. When we are awake and connected to the Father, it is amazing what can happen. And then the Father gives the Son the sandals and puts sandals on his feet because only servants had bare feet. You know, not people are part of the family. And there's status and a position of sonship is restored there. And in the same way, we have a status in Jesus Christ. And we have a position of sonship in Jesus Christ. And then the father says, go and kill the fatted calf and we will celebrate. And in the same way, every time someone comes to the father through Jesus Christ and is saved, there is a celebration in heaven, is there not? But it's more than that, because why did the prodigal son come back? Because he was hungry. He didn't come back because he was drawn to the Father. He, didn't come, he came back because he was in the pig pan eating the scraps. And it doesn't matter why you turn to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter why you come back to the Father. He'll receive you. And not only that, not only says we, we celebrate, but he says kill the fatted calf because my son's hungry. You see, our Father in heaven not only celebrates when we come to the Father, but he says, I'll meet your needs, I can see your needs, and I'll be with you all of your life meeting your needs. And that is the love of the Father. And when you understand that putting on Jesus Christ and what he has given us, the things of this world just wash away. And we're not distracted by the sinfulness. And it's here now that we pick up. And again, I could spend a lot more time delving into what it means putting on Jesus Christ. And I'm almost tempted to. But we'll push on. And here we move into Romans 14.1. And it says, receive one another. Now that we're not distracted by the things of the world. Now that we know that we've put on Jesus Christ. He says, receive one who is weak in the faith. Receive one who is weak in the faith. But not to disputes over doubtful things. Receive one who is weak in the faith. And in all reality, Paul is is kind of saying, receive everyone. But do you know what? You're actually not going to agree with everyone about all things. There are actually going to be things that you disagree fundamentally about. But receive one another anyway. And it actually reminds me of the foundation of Churches of Christ. And I don't know where in Esperance Church of Christ, but the foundation, the beginnings of Churches of Christ was not set up as a denomination. Churches of Christ is not a denomination. When it was actually founded, and I won't bore you with too much church history here, but I think this is important for us to understand. When Churches of Christ was set up as a movement, it was set up in a time when there were lots of denominations around and still are today. But denomination A over here believed one thing and denomination B over here actually didn't hold true to one of the points that denomination had and so they wouldn't actually talk to one another. They'd have a falling out and they would not converse. There was no sense of unity and then there would be denomination C who had a slightly different perspective to B and A and so they wouldn't talk to each other and then there was denomination D who would never talk to one another. And in this setting where you've got no unity amongst the body of believers in these locations because they have slightly different interpretations of what scriptures say. Churches of Christ was founded and they looked around and they said, we're not going to be a denomination. We're going to be a movement who is focused on Jesus Christ and taking his message into the world. We are going to form ourselves and we're going to have a creed. It's not going to be a long creed, but the creed of Churches of Christ, and it still is today is this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. And it was in this setting where these denominations were not talking to one another that they, churches of Christ was birthed. And they'd go over to denomination A and they'd have a chat and they'd talk about something and they go, actually, we don't believe that, but do you know what? We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe he came in the flesh. We believe that salvation comes through him. And so we're your brothers. How can we serve you? And then they'd go to denomination B and exactly the same thing would happen. And so these denominations that wouldn't talk to each other would all talk to churches of Christ because they said, you know what? We're united in the essentials and we will journey with you in the essentials. And in these other things, we're going to have liberty. You can believe that. It doesn't affect our salvation You can believe that because it doesn't impinge on my belief in Jesus Christ and my salvation in him. And Churches of Christ was birthed out of that into a movement. And I love it and I hold, try and keep that in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things love. And I actually think in this verse, this is what Paul is actually trying to say. Receive all people Receive those who walk in faith. And then in verse two it says, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him who eats despise him who, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. It's a long convoluted way to say, Hey, if you don't eat meat or you do eat meat, it doesn't really matter. Do you know what? Don't argue about it. And there were points back in those days where, and we won't get into the theological reason why people weren't eating meat, but do you know what? For some people, it was really, really important that they did not eat meat. And Paul's saying, if that's important to them, hey, that's fine. It's not going to impact salvation. But if it's not important to you and you eat meat, that's cool also. And in verse 5, he goes on and he says, "Uh, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And here was another contentious issue. Which day should we celebrate Jesus? Which day should we gather together to worship? Should we do it on a Saturday as the Jews? Or do we do it on a Sunday as the early Christians do? Which day? And it became a real contentious thing. And in the church today, we still have contentious issues, don't we? In fact, those two are still relevant. Which day? Some people think that we have to worship on one day and another people think we have to worship on a Sunday and some people worship on a midweek and which one's right? Does it matter? Is there a right? Is there a wrong? Does it impact salvation? But it's not only about which day of the week, is it? We still... Whether or not we eat meat, and some people think we shouldn't eat meat still to this day. Cool, no worries. Go and enjoy your vegetarian meals. As you can tell, I like my meat. Um, It's not an impact. But it's not only about the food as well. Alcohol in the church has been a very divisive issue. I can distinctly remember in Victoria, I went to a minister's retreat, and we went along there. And we were it was about bringing unity to the church. If the ministers could get together and unite, then that would impact into the churches. And we were talking about Jesus and the things that bind us. And all of a sudden, someone brought up alcohol. And you could feel the tension in the room. Because there was a group of ministers who believed that alcohol was wrong. And no Christian should be able to drink alcohol. And then there was another group of people sitting over here saying... Uh, God created all things, it doesn't matter. And and everyone had their scriptures to back it up and and the tension just rose and rose. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that turned really quickly. Really quickly. Does this impact on salvation, is this something that we really, if we're here together to try and bring unity, how is this conversation uniting us? How is it building one another up? You know, and Paul is saying, hey, let's receive everyone. If they believe in Jesus Christ, if they've clothed themselves with Jesus Christ, if they've put on Jesus Christ, let's receive them and let's worship with them and let's build one another up. But there's other things, aren't there? Styles of worship. Oh my goodness, that's a contentious one in churches, isn't it? Do you sing hymns or choruses or... Or do you praise and worship or, or now heal song? Which ones and how loud? And are you allowed to use drums or guitars? Or, and it goes on and on and on. And do you know what? Kind of, who really cares? Yeah, we have our preferences. But does it matter? Does it really matter in the end, time, in the end of things about what way we worship? It's great that we've got different styles. It's great we've got different preferences. You know, and some people worship the way that they worship out of necessity. Other people have lux- have lots of musicians and lots of different styles, but it becomes too contentious too quickly, doesn't it? And it becomes a divisive issue. And and all of a sudden, we're we're worshiping, but well, we're not worshiping. We're singing or we're doing something, but the glory's not on God. It's not about oh, I don't like this. Oh, should oh look at oh oh oh, and it becomes a bit prickly. What about something else? What, what other contentious issues? We could be on here all day on te- contentious issues, couldn't we? What about uh, praying in tongues? Those people, you're not saved if you prayed in tongues. All these people over here, the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. You know, and, and, and people argue and you just go, hey, if you feel led to pray in tongues, great, pray in tongues. If you don't, fantastic. Let's not put a stumbling block because you know what? We're loved by Jesus Christ and we're saved in Him and we're united. Isn't that true? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And the key, in all things, love. Yeah? That's what Churches of Christ was founded on. There's lots of other things, contentious things. But I think I've made my point. But I look at Esperance. And I've said this before. I look at Esperance. And when I first told people that we were moving to Esperance. So I can still remember people saying, oh, there's a town with divisive issues. There's a church in disunity. I can still distinctly remember it. There is a, a spirit of divisiveness over Esperance still today. I mean, when was the last time? Well, look, look at the churches and the church splits. You know, the joke in Perth that people would say, you want to plant a new church in Esperance? Don't worry, just wait long enough and a new one will be birthed out of a church split. You know, it's sarcastic, but there's a true truth there. There's a divisiveness. And I don't mean to be rude, but it's not just in the churches, is it? Look at the community. There's two rotary clubs. There's two tennis clubs. There's two golf clubs. There's two of this and that. And how many of them have birthed saying, hey, look, we've outgrown it. Why don't you guys go out and and bless and we'll start? No, 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 no. They have a disagreement. And so they split and they start again. There's a spirit of disunity here. Mate, you know, and I just sense that if the church itself can focus back on the unity, on the essentials then we've actually got the power and authority given to us by Jesus Christ to change the atmosphere of the entire town and bring unity to this town and to cast away the spirit of disunity that's over this town. When I look out over this church, we're small in number. It's a small church. But do you know what? I think there's power in this church because I think the members here are, are a praying lot. And you have the ability when you go to the Father in heaven to call unity into the church, to call unity into this town and to cast off the spirit of disunity out of this town. But in order to do that, we have to receive one another. We have to focus on the essentials. We have to embrace one another. We have to do it in a spirit of love. And the last thing that we can not afford to do is to have a spirit of judgment upon people who are different because that automatically brings disunity. Verse 13 says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. If you're passionate about something, if you're passionate about something and you're you're in a conversation and you can see that all of a sudden that person is disagreeing with you, stop pushing your point and come back to that which you can agree on to build relationship to bring peace as it talks about further down. Focus on the things of Jesus Christ and our salvation in him that we can agree on in unity in essentials, liberty in non-essentials. I'm not saying don't have conversations, but do all things in love, because that's our heritage, and that's the foundation, and I think that is what Paul is saying. And so if Paul is saying, okay, receive all things, we're not going to agree in everything, we need to have liberty in the non-essentials, what are the essential things that Paul wants us to focus on? And here we find it in verse 17. Verse 17 is my favorite verse in the entirety of Scripture because here it it points out what the essentials are, what we're to focus on. Here it points out what the kingdom of heaven is all about. There's so much truth in verse 17 and it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not how you do mission or whether or not you speak in tongues. It is not how you worship. It is not whether you drink alcohol. It is not any of these things because there's liberty there. The kingdom of God, Paul says, is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I know I've preached sermons on these three things and a series on this verse, but I want to spend some time again coming back to the importance of these essentials. And I want to look at each of these things because we need to be reminded about the essential things of the kingdom of God constantly. Because as we've clothed ourselves in Jesus Christ and we're welcoming one another in, we need to make sure that we're not putting stumbling blocks in each other's way, but we come in and we can focus on what the kingdom of God is truly about. And so the kingdom of God is righteousness. These are the essentials. You know, if you're looking at the creed of churches of Christ, these are the things that we unite around, righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. It says, we are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Those who have heard me preach on this before will have heard me say this. I am the most righteous person who's ever walked the face of this earth. I am, despite what I have done or not done. That can sound like a pretty confronting sentence, can't it? But do you know what? The truth is that I am the most righteous person who's ever walked the face of this earth because Jesus Christ has clothed me with his righteousness. Now, if I say that, does that mean that you're not the most righteous person who's ever walked the face of this earth? No, because that's a true statement too. Any person who is in Jesus Christ is clothed with his righteousness and therefore you are the most righteous person who has ever walked the face of the earth despite what you have done or not done because it is Christ's righteousness that clothes you, which means that you are in right relationship with the Father in heaven. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he writes often the disciple whom jesus loved do you know who he was writing about when he wrote that statement he was writing about himself it sounds again like he a bit of a prideful statement but he is practicing the presence of the truth he is practicing the presence of jesus christ because he knows that he is loved by the father He knows he is loved by the Son. He is loved by Jesus Christ. Does it mean that he loved Peter less? No. But John is proving that he knows that he's loved by the Father in the same way that you are the disciples that Jesus loved. In the same way, you are the most righteous person who's ever walked the face of this earth. Jesus says that the greatest is John the Baptist. Yet the least of the kingdom are greater than he. How do we reconcile that? We reconcile that by understanding the covenants. That John was under the old covenant. And we are under the new covenant where we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And no one is greater than that. And no one person can have a righteousness that even compares to that. How do we have that righteousness? By Jesus Christ and what he has done. And by receiving by faith, his righteousness is given to us. And it doesn't matter what we do or don't do. This is the key thing. It doesn't matter what we do or don't do. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are righteous. How good is that? Does that take a weight off your shoulders? You don't have to try and do stuff or not do stuff because you are righteous. That's the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus Christ. His righteousness given to you. And then there's peace. a peace to, oh, I'm going to look at two things here. There's a peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, says having been justified by faith we have peace with God. Peace with God. Why? Because we know that our sins have been forgiven completely. We can approach boldly the Father in heaven, because we know that there is a peace in our conscience because Jesus Christ has forgiven us. By faith in him, we are forgiven completely. And so we can have a peace with the Father. If we didn't know that truth, if we didn't know that we were forgiven completely, then there's something between us and the Father and we can't approach boldly. You know yourself, when you're out of relationship with someone, can you go up with them and have a genuine conversation and look them in the eye? No, there's a barrier, isn't there? And by knowing that we are forgiven completely, that barrier is gone. And we can have a peace with our Father in heaven. We have been freed from the death of sin and have been given peace with God with a clear conscience. So we can approach his, to- his throne anywhere, anytime. And then there's peace of God. Let the pe- Colossians 3, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Philippians 4, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds And Isaiah 55, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The peace of God is that which guides us in life, is that which guides us in the decision making. If you're going to make a decision and you lose the peace of God, then that decision is not for you. And I've shared stories about in my own life when I'm about to make a decision which in the worldly and, and natural, every, it looks like a great decision. looks like the best decision and I'm about to make it. And all of a sudden, the peace of God is stripped away. and So I make another decision and doors open that you would never think possible. The peace of God, this is the kingdom of God. And then, and then joy, the last one, joy. The joy, when we... In order to explain joy, I like to share the story found in Luke 1 where Mary has Jesus in her womb and she goes and visits Elizabeth. And as she's approaching Elizabeth, uh, they hear Mary's voice and John the Baptist, who's in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy, leaps for joy. And you see, because as you encounter Jesus, as you encounter Jesus in new and fresh ways, with fresh revelations, You are filled with joy. You see, it's the joy in the Holy Spirit. And the joy is there to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ so you can grow deeper in relationship of Jesus Christ. And that that story about John the Baptist leaping for joy, if you look throughout scriptures, when people are filled with joy, leaping for joy, it's because they've just had a fresh encounter of Jesus Christ. Fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you look at Nehemiah 8, it says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. And this word strength means protection, safety, refuge, stronghold. And so the joy of the Lord is my strength. When we... Um, the joy of the Lord, when, when we experience that joy because of fresh revelation, we're in His safety, we're in His protection, we're in His refuge, His strength. You will prevail because nothing can stand against you in that moment because everything else is stripped away. Perspective is given because you have the joy of the Lord because you've got a fresh revelation, a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. It's in those moments that often healing occurs for people. It's in those moments of the joy of the Lord because you've you have a fresh revelation with jesus christ that things miraculous things happen you see this is the kingdom of god righteousness peace and joy and who does it all come back to jesus christ it's not about me it's about jesus christ for he's the kingdom of god and those three things all point back to him all point back to him 14 verse 18 says for he who serves christ in these things In these essentials, in righteousness, peace and joy, he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by man. Therefore, let us pursue these things which make for peace. Let us pursue these things which bring unity. Let us pursue these things which bind us together. Let let us pursue these things which are essentials that will bring us together. And the things by which one may edify one another. Let us pursue the things that build us up. Because why? Because they bring unity. Because why? They point back to Jesus Christ. Because why? Because these are the essentials of the kingdom of heaven. And do not destroy the work of God for the sake of the non-essentials. It says for the sake of food here. But let us not destroy the, sake of the, the, king, the work of God for the sake of the non-essentials. You know what? As a church, let's commit to focusing on the essentials. As Christians, let's commit to focusing on the essentials. Let us commit to praying for unity for this town, to bring unity back to the churches. Because when we do that, when we focus on the kingdom of God, when we refuse to focus on the non-essentials and refuse to get in the way of the work of God, we have the power, over uh, the authority and power and dominion within this world to change the atmosphere of this community. We have the power and authority to change the atmosphere of this town because we are in Jesus Christ and he has given it to us. Not because we're anything special, far from it, but because we're connected to the Father through Jesus Christ. Let us as a church, let us as believers remember that this can be summarized in the wisdom of the founders of the movement of Churches of Christ, in essential unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for what he has given us as we receive him by faith. We thank you for the power and authority that he gives us in this world. We thank you that he has made us righteous, that he has given us peace, that he fills us with joy, that we can be led by your spirit. But Father, right now, I want to pray for the churches in this town. I want to pray that you will bring a sense of unity back to the churches here. I want to pray that as you do that, as unity is brought back in, and I'm believing for that, that you'll bring a spirit of unity upon the whole town. And the spirit of divisiveness, the spirit of disunity will be cast away. Father, we know that we have the power and authority in Jesus Christ to proclaim this. And so this day, in his precious name we do. Amen.